If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Just let that loose, Patrice. Yeah, just let I did. It. I was just blah. <laughs> I, the only reason that the stream is probably working is because I've been drinking since five. If I would have tried to do that sober, it would not have worked. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you know, I always bowled that way. I can only bowl when I was drunk. <laughs> A drunk drunk bowl way better than a sober bowl. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm drinking I'm drinking a bloody Mary, oh. but I, I I ate the celery stick to the wrong size and it keeps on poking me in the eye. <laughs> You're being very, that's very healthy. I'm just like sugar and booze. That's basically what I'm drinking. Me too. I'm drinking fever tree ginger ale and booze. Oh, oh with some fresh squeezed lime and juice, I'm calling it because I just tried to squeeze all the citrus I had so that it wouldn't go bad. Right. So I'm using it as a mixer. That's Sorry about lovely. the crunching. <laughs> so hi Marlea. Hi Courtney. Hi, hi guys. We're doing this thing. I'm excited. Oh shit. Sorry. Um Do you got your blur on, Marlea? Hmm? Do you have your blur on your video? I believe so. Take your Why? blur off. Take it off. What's it doing? Well, it just I don't you know. Look- because you're so far away from yours that it blurs you. Yeah. See, I'm not blurred, right? But I have my background blurred. I scream like a monkey. <laughs> um, hold on. Let me unblur my background. I'll Is take, that better? Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's better. Much clearer. It's just like my whole head just turns into one big fluff with this on. <laughs> it's cute. Can't keep it's it like Aladdin like. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. <laughs> this is the most annoying happy hat I've ever worn. We we should tell those who can't see us that we're we're all sporting some type of headgear today. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. Well, I was probably going to take all of that like, us talking out right at the beginning there. But Can yes. anybody hear us? What okay. You? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes, we're all sporting different hats and antennae. Uh-oh, Patrice is gone. No, Wait. I'm here. I'm here. Are you losing? Are you, okay. Are you? What's happening? Cor- right. Courtney, can you talk? Some? Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Uh, Courtney's Can you hear her, Patrice? Yeah, the whole time. All right. Well, cool. maybe I'm just fucked then. <laughs> All right. It's going to be one of those episodes. Mm-hmm. It's like every five minutes, it's like, hey, can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Hey. Oh. oh, my God. Use of social distancing. So I was, I was like making some notes of what I want to talk about before the beginning of today's show, Internet Radio. That we got going on. Yes. 
uh, and I had something so good. I was like, I need to write that down. And then I left the room and I forgot. Uh, so I didn't write it down, but I did have something happen to me that was kind of freaky. What? So, you know, we had all of those storms, uh, that came through the South last Sunday, Sunday night. And we were all hunkered down in the basement, in pod basement, waiting th- for them to like pass through. And of course it happened, you know, in a couple of different waves. And so after like one went through, we didn't know how bad the second one was going to be. Uh, I ran upstairs to like make my son a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to bring downstairs. And at that time, I thought maybe Chad was like following me, but he didn't. So I was upstairs and I grabbed the peanut butter and I turned around and I saw somebody walking through the house. What? And I just stood there and I was like, (gasps) I was like, Chad. I was like, I screamed his name. It's like, Hey, I was like, where are you? And he like yelled at me from the basement. He's like, (gasps) down here. And I'm like, where's Max? Because Max is almost as tall as I am. And he's like, he's right here. I was like, okay. (laughs) I grabbed the peanut butter and went back downstairs. And Chad was like, why? I was like, no reason. No reason. (laughs) You didn't tell them? No. Was there somebody in your house? Uh, Somebody walked through, like, they went from down the hall past where the little bar is headed towards the living room and that's like I just saw like the shadow of them like walking through and headed towards the living room and then that was it so that little opening where the bar is mm-hmm. that I was you okay. are shitting me for real for real shadow person it was Sh- shadow person so I don't that's why I sat there and I like yelled out but I was like hey I was like where are you and he was like I'm down, I'm down straight. I was like oh shit were the dolls locked up? <laughs> yeah, the dolls were locked up. <laughs> have you ever seen anything there before? I have not seen anybody, but I have had somebody sit on the bed when I was asleep, like when I was going to sleep, like the pressure on the bed. Um, and But it, it hasn't happened in a while. I hadn't had anything happen in a while. So that was, that was, yeah, my Sunday. <laughs> Mm. that so, was today or that was no, last, last Sunday? week yeah yeah with all the storms we get them all mixed up like which one is which right because there's all the big thunder right so now. that was easter sunday then Ooh. oh my god yeah so i haven't t- had anything like that i totally didn't do tarot i'm upset i meant to but we I was, did i was so tired i was just like fuck it so I'll need to That's do that how soon. I felt yesterday. I'm I'm having like those. What I was saying, like I wish I was more space between my hyperphase and my hypophase, because mm-hmm. I'll have like whole days where I just won't get off the chair, mm-hmm. and I will just sit on my ass. And then like today, after I got like ten hours of sleep because I just couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. Today I got up and I baked bread and I roasted vegetables and I Damn, cleaned the girl. dog and I I did every damn thing. Yeah, I, 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 I balance between those days, too. Well, it's more so just, like, now, like I said earlier, like, my house has gone to shit, and I'm just not going to worry about it till school's nope. over, and I've got, like, a week and a half, and then I'll be done with my school. Yay! And I'm going to give, like, 
house a thorough cleaning. I had to fucking buy a new vacuum cleaner. So that's part of my uh, check that I got. Went to a new vacuum cleaner. Uh-huh. And I, it's been like my vacuum cleaner is 13 years old. It's older than my son. <laughs> but it's because I bought Dyson and they're fucking oh, expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I I cannot buy a cheap vacuum cleaner because they just do not work for the amount of dog hair and cat hair that we have in this house. So you have I a made, lot of carpet, too. Like yeah, your I made another investment, so I'm excited. That's going to come in because we got about two work, weeks worth of hair on the floor right now that's just driving <laughs> me nuts. It's driving me nuts. <sighs> so anyway. I have some quarantine news. I have a friend whose Zoom session was hacked by porn two <gasps> days ago. <laughs> 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 and it was one that I was supposed to be on, and I said, uh, I'm just not going to do it. It was a you happy hour out. for mm. a professional group that I'm a, a part of, a scientific professional group. Yeah. And they had a big name in the field invited <sighs> to share his research on COVID. Mm-hmm. And he was on there, and he's um, he's an older gentleman. Oh. And a lot of the people who decided to come were older uh, prestigious mm-hmm. people in the field because mm-hmm. he was going to be at this happy hour. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, they uh, near the end, they started hearing moaning and screaming, <laughs> and there were pictures of men kissing and having sex and uh, saying all kinds of dirty things. <laughs> and I couldn't help but laugh. I wish I would have been on that so much. I would have oh. laughed so hard. My gosh. <laughs> it really happened. Just so you know, I really I'm, thought those were fake stories. I thought that oh that wasn't really true, but it's happened to a lot of people. So it's true. Yeah. It could happen to us. Uh, who knows? Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, bring week. it. Bring <laughs> the cock. <laughs> well, last week I was on. Um, I was on with my class, uh, and it's really weird. You know, each class has like a different vibe. One class is like very studious they always like show their face you know they're they're there they're present they ask questions you know it's like a really great responsive class and then right after that the next class nobody shows their face Mm -hmm. it's like they're probably half of them aren't even there they just like sign in and leave kind of deal so my first class we're sitting there and you know i like gave my little talk and we're having a, like a work in class and they can ask me questions when they run into problems, kind of open session like that. And so I'm sitting there, I just got finished talking and I look at my students and one of my students' boyfriend walks in the background and just a towel. Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm very like, man, I got such a good poker face sometimes. And I just sat there and I was like watching all the reactions of all the other girls in the classroom. It was priceless. It was so good. I was like, please keep that towel. Please keep that towel. You know, you You know how this is, how much that has happened now that everyone's online. People have been um, showing all, I'm sure, accidentally or maybe on purpose. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of think he was on purpose. I, he looked like he was enjoying the attention. 
I did have my kids ask whether they really needed to get dressed for school like meetings. Like, do I really have to wear pants? And I was like, listen, that's something that you can do in the future. You know, when you when you right. grow up and we can trust you to stay behind your desk, you can totally not wear pants for these meetings. Yeah, but mama says right you got to wear pants. Now, yeah, it's hard to get kids to wear pants. That's true. Well, luckily, we're not having to do any really face to face. Um with Max because he does not care for it. Mm. He he just like blah. It just doesn't work. So I'm glad for that. I'm glad that they just let him like read and do his assignments, and that has worked out really nice. And I'm thankful. God, I'm thankful for the teachers. I am so thankful for them. God bless yeah, them. Yes. Oh. Bless all the teachers mm -hmm. and all the other people. And the healthcare workers oh. and the grocery store workers yeah. and the liquor store workers. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know if we didn't talk about drinks, but again, it's a bring your own drink quarantine style. All right. Maybe Hopefully. I'll coordinate something a little bit better once like, I can get that's all the classes. A, that's up to me. And I keep thinking that I'm going to, but working from home has been, so, like I said two weeks ago, it's been so much more difficult than I yes. thought it was going to be. Well, it's, and it's yeah. taking, I'm, I'm so thankful, but it has taken so much more time than I thought. Time and, and I have energy. Light. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. And I'm like, I had all these plans that I could get these little kids together for you and drop them off at your houses and like no. send you a little recipe card and stuff. That's all in my plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hopefully before this quarantine is over, I can do it, but that was my plan. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. But to I totally know, like, the teaching online, uh, the synchronous class, it, you have to, it's, like, twice as hard. I mean, you wouldn't think it is, but it is twice as hard as physically being in a classroom because it's like performing. It's mm -hmm. like you are, feel like you're performing and you have to go, like, that extra mile to get people to respond and to understand you and to get the technology to work. <clears throat> So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, we're tutoring students, too, and having all of our meetings. What used to take me two minutes to walk to an office, I have to set up a meeting, turn on the computer. We, you know, we have to know a day ahead of time to be on at the same time. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yep. We'll get it. We'll get there. We'll get there. We somewhere. only have two class days left at JSU. And then final start. Yeah. And you know that, don't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yay! Is there any more show notes? Nope, I don't think so. Right. I got nothing. I got one. Okay, oh. what you got? <laughs> we were really drunk last time. Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! <laughs> Y'all, when I went back and listened to myself, <laughs> I I was out for a day after the last episode Damn. like a full-on day mm. I, I was i don't even rem i remember like stumbling to the bathroom after we hit end call and i i don't remember much else about evening, which is weird because i had like, like four shots of whiskey over the course of what three hours that doesn't seem that bad right. so i really shouldn't have been that fun but man i was blown out i was just like so Sorry. Three Bloody Marys before we started while I cut mask patterns and then started drinking whiskey. <laughs> wasn't a good idea. Yeah. I don't even, yeah. I, don't, I wasn't that bad off, but 
I was definitely what did I, I don't even remember what I drank last time. Yeah, like doing it every two weeks. It's just like vodka cranberry. I think you were still on vodka, vodka cranberry. cranberry. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, I drank all of that up. Well, I gotta apologize because my my story was super long winded, but I was like, <laughs> I was just proud I made it to the end. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> oh, good. I'm excited about your story tonight. Well. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm drinking. Go ahead. What is it? No, go ahead. You're drinking what? I'm drinking Bloody Mary in honor of the story I'm going to tell, which isn't so much a story, but a kind of a story-ish. Yeah, I kind of got the same non-story. Let's just take this meandering walk down a couple of subjects. Mm -hmm. This very Southern. Y'all get get comfy. Get comfy. Get your drinks. Yay, I'm ready. Put on your comfy pants. Oh, wait. We've all already got our comfy <laughs> pants on. I'm not wearing pants. pants. <laughs> <laughs> have my well, Peaky Blinders hat on, though. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, of course, in true Southern Patrice style, the topic of my story, not story, is something I can't fucking pronounce. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? <laughs> well, okay. So this is a Mississippi urban legend, or is it? I got sources <laughs> from 13thfloor.tv, urbanlegendsonline.com, Wikipedia, and The Verge. So you know it's got to be true. <laughs> so, so this is about a Mississippi secret disease that the government tried to cover up called Mercritus. Mercritus? 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 We're going to say Mercritus. Have you mentioned this before? I don't as part so, of another story? I can't fucking pronounce that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> 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 Having said that before. How's it spelled? Oh, it is like M E R C R I T I S. Mercritus? Mercritus? Okay. Okay. Yes. So anyway, so if you ask like anything else, if you ask people in small towns, if they ever knew about this or anybody that was affected by it, they may tell you, yeah, I know somebody's cousins, hairdressers, aunts, sons, uncle, (laughs) you know, the normal kind of the way people hear about things in the South. But supposedly it was like this really very frightening disease that happened in the southern states during the 1950s. And it was rumored to be quickly covered up by the government because there was no cure. Mm. So really good buildup, right? Mm. (laughs) Okay. Too much disease. Too much disease. Too much disease. (laughs) So it is largely believed that this disease, Mercritus, Mercritus, whatever, is uh, caused when a man ingests a large amount of lead, which is deadly, which is going to kill yeah. them, from paint or some other source. And then they secrete a bile through their skin that acts as a pheromone making women around them completely hormonal and unreasonable. What the hell? Oh my god. Oh my god. Apparently it has European origin to give it credit, right? So <laughs> the first reported incidence of this Mercritus Mercritus 
Mercritus, uh, occurred in Europe where a man was chased by dozens of women through a seaside village and in an attempt to evade his pursuers, he ran into freezing waters. Well, the villagers reported that the females were, uh, that were attacking him, like didn't really care. And so they ran in after him and basically everybody drowned and froze to death and whatnot. Oh my god. But the story is this hit a small town in Mississippi. Of course, the name is unknown. I couldn't find a name. And it was immediately covered up because you can't find it in any newspaper, which is totally true. I went to newspapers.com and tried to like look this up. But uh, you know, this happened and it ended up supposedly a large number of women from that town where this happened went into like this homicidal rage and they went like destroying property and chasing down and murdering every man they could find. Well, that sounds reasonable. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but this is like a thing that's, you know, if you talk to somebody in what? the area and I, I have a feeling, my gut feeling is being from Mississippi that this is probably kind of a mid mid south story because I have not heard any kind of tale about this, and it kind of gave me like you know the whole Lumberton Mississippi with the nuclear testing. I'm like, yeah, oh, this could probably happen in that area. That 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 feels right. So anyway, this uh, mercritus condition uh, is like there's nothing reported on it and you know it says one of the reasons mercritus is rare is that the paint consumption leads to massive organ failure well uh, that's what i was gonna say there's a lot to unpack here because it, it starts with a man ingesting lead-based right? paint and so many who have like even a chance of developing this rare disease die before it can manifest that's why we don't have like a bunch of people who like use lead you know, or whatever back in the day, supposedly having this happening. So, uh, this Japanese guy, let me see if I can fucking pronounce this. Haruki <laughs> Ru, Ryu, Haruki Ryu actually okay. wrote a book or a paper or some shit that I cannot find on the internet called Macritus. I run. <laughs> Wait, uh, Macritus, I run. I run. That was basically how it was translated <laughs> back in 1968. And this is what he has to I say run. about it. I run. Uh, so the scent seems to affect all women on a hormonal level that appears to alter them emotionally. You know, and I'm like, if, if that was true, even if we were like, as women affected hormonally and emotionally, we don't go around killing people. It's like, if that was the case, like once a month, there would be like killing sprees, like all over the place <laughs> for like everybody. Right. So anyway, he says like the milder range of reactivity is like irritability and hostility. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> it also says that pretty women are so hyperactivated by the victims mm. uh, that has brought us to speculate on the possible relationship between hormonal activity and beauty. Oh my God. Yes. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> why a woman with no history or pattern of violence would react so strongly to a man with mc has not been adequately studied 
<laughs> so this is that urban legend from Mississippi. So I'm reading this in the article from, hold on, let me find, from the 13th Floor TV. And they go on to talk about this movie that was created by our friend Joe Dante, who, mm-hmm. remember, did Gremlins from <gasps> oh. the Kentucky Green Men and, ah. and so forth. So he actually created a movie called The Screwfly Solution. Okay. It sounds like a weird take off the screw tape letters like they're trying to. So let me talk about this film that they refer to when talking about the the MC, whatever. Uh, Mercritus. Mercritus, yeah. Mercritus uh, problem that they were having in Mississippi. So the Screwfly Solution is basically a 2006 movie. It's actually made more recent than I thought it would be. And I watched it. It came on... um, it was like one of those horror uh, shows where like each episode or maybe a horror DVD where each episode is like an hour long little horror blip or whatever. So it was, he created it in 2006. It stars Jason Priestley and Elliot. <gasps> Gould. Oh. oh my God. And who? And Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Yeah. And so, Joe Dante talked about his film and he's like, it's vaguely political. It's not political in the same way that his other film homecoming is, but it's about a plague that starts in the Southern half of the U S and it moves around the rest of the world. It's a story in which men are moved to kill all the women. And it's extremely dark. And so I rented it for actually, did I rent it or buy it? I think I bought it. Mm-hmm. I bought it for like $5. It's like an hour long and I watched it this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How'd that feel? <laughs> wow. Well, all I got to say is I swear Bill Pullman's in it. I swear he's in it. I looked at the credits. <laughs> I swear he's like one of the, and I've got to like scrub through the movie and, and like take a screenshot because I swear he's in it. So Love let's talk so about the premise of this movie here. Uh, basically a virus overcomes the male population of the world and turns them into like murderous psychopaths. And it centers around this couple, this man and this wife and their daughter. And, um, basically he's some sort of, uh, scientist that's working on an insect problem, which is where the whole, uh, screw fly thing kind of comes into play. Because uh, the Screwfly Solution was where they took, um, they were having like an overpopulation of these flies that would lay eggs in livestock. And when they would hatch, they would just basically eat the livestock and kill them. And yeah. it was like really horrible. And so what they decided to do is they decided to sterilize half the male population and reintroduce them. And then the male population that was sterilized fought with the unsterilized male population over the female flies. And they ended up basically just eradicating themselves. So that's that's the... Um, screw fly solution and so you know they're seeing this and over the summer like the series of femicides breaks out all over the world and uh 
they start to like these scientists start to notice this and you know it's just like this whole just crazy just craziness and <laughs> basically the the thing is it's like something was introduced to the planet and it traveled along uh kind of the wind like where the wind takes like this latitude kind of I don't know it was just like this weird trajectory of like where it was showing up and that's why it was showing up strictly like in the south because it just went from like Florida to Georgia to Alabama to Texas and so forth and whatnot but what it did is it caused uh anytime like a man would get sexually aroused uh he would become extremely (laughs) violent and he would end up like killing whoever which basically meant or killing the females who sexually aroused them which basically meant that like everybody was sexually aroused so all the females died (laughs) jesus it is crazy it is yeah it is dark it's like a lot of bioterrorism like one of the plans was like chemical castration uh and of course, like they met with the people in Washington. It's like the only way that, you know, we can stop these because it was like, you know, thousands of women were dying and they were like the people who were killing them were giving them like flimsy excuses. And the other men were like taking it was like, oh, yeah, OK, well, that's legit. That sounds all right kind of deal. And so they like started having all these mass killings. So they went to Washington and they're like, hey, this is the only way that you know you can stop this chemical castration. And of course, as soon as you say castration, all the men were like, well, no, that doesn't sound like a reasonable <laughs> solution to murdering people. We're not going to oh take a God. pill. Why would we do that? So at at the end, and y'all, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it for you if you're really, really interested in watching this. What? Like, fast know, forward 10 seconds. Fast forward. Don't listen. Yeah, about a few <laughs> minutes here. But what ends up happening is like the father scientist oh. ends up killing like his whole family base. Well, ends up killing his daughter. Uh, and then killing himself and then the wife like goes up to Canada and actually she is saved by a gay man and they go up to Canada and they live and the whole world's gone crazy all the women get killed there is some like really fucked up shit like one of the last scenes and I'll have to take a screen grab of this. She's dressing. Oh she's very feminine. She's very feminine. So she dresses like a man. She totally doesn't pull it off. Of course, she didn't really try that hard. But, <laughs> uh, you know, she's trying to buy food and ammo up north. And, you know, of course, all the men folk in the store kind of look at her funny. And she looks like at the counter and there is a bag with a tit on it like a bag (laughs) from a boob it's like a boob bag that the guy has made for the show a bag with a tit on it oh my gosh but i mean but this movie basically this whole hour is just so much so much stuff packed into it and so the spoiler is that basically the eradication of you know the whole population because after they killed all the females um 
they end up turning on each other and it ends up that it was actually aliens that released this chemical because that explains it all they are wanting to take over the world and was this a stephen king movie it it all sounds like M. Not Shyamalan. Yeah, it ends a lot better than Stephen King. (laughs) (laughs) But oh my gosh. Yeah, it's just so much. I mean, there's like, they call them crypto females. There's like strip club scenes. Uh, There's like the whole thing was just like some creepo's wet dream. There was like talk of bug pornography, women's camps, chemical. I mean, it's just like every time they said something new, I just like wrote it down. Boot bag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, and one one of the lines in there was like uh, Jason what's his name? Jason Priestley just called his wife and he's like, I love you. I have always loved you. Uh, and Whitney Houston breaks out in the background uh... (laughs) oh man but it's so fucked up so I watched that and I read articles about that well come to find out and this is where it really gets interesting oh (laughs) wasn't the interesting part yeah. Uh, the Screwfly oh. Solution is actually an award-winning short story. It received a Nebula, Nebula, Nebula Award in like 1978, and it was written by James Tiptree Jr. And uh, actually, James Tiptree Jr. Uh, well, let me before I get to that. Uh, a serial killer no 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 far from it so um one of the articles that i read about the screw fly solution here uh was from the verge and it was uh 80 Addie robertson and she described that like the actual screw fly solution as a romance a plague diary and a social treaty <clears throat> treat treatise um uh, and so she said, the premise uh, is a product of its time written an era where feminist authors were exploring separatism from society at large and often working from the assumption that men were fundamentally violent and women fundamentally peaceful. But when I read it somewhere 25 years later, those assumptions still permeated everything I had been told about gender. I'm not sure what my male counterparts heard during youth groups and talks with adults, but the standard message to girls was clear. You interact with men at your own peril because they just can't control themselves. So Tip Tree turns kind of this glib justification into a horror story. Um, and that's really, that's what it is. Uh, you know, what if women's sexuality, sexuality genuinely made men uncontrollable? So I was like, wow. well, that's kind of fucking interesting. So I looked up James Tiptree Jr. And I actually bought a book called James Tiptree Jr. The Double Life of Allison B. Sheldon. So 
Alice Sheldon was the writer of the Screwfile Solution, but she wrote under the male name of James Tiptree Jr. Oh, and I pen looked, name. Yes, I looked her up, and that's why I bought the seventies. In the seventies, I looked her up because. I was like, that's really interesting how she got to that. So I'm going to tell you just a little bit about her, um, which I find far more fascinating than the movie and the little urban legend kind of stuff. She uh, was born in Chicago, so she's not from the South, but it's okay. We're going to do it. In, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, uh, so she was born in Chicago, but her, Loud. her, uh, Dad was like a lawyer and a naturalist, which I don't know. This is like in 1915, so I'm not sure what a naturalist means in 1915. Uh, her mother was a prolific writer of fiction and travel books, and they traveled a lot. And so she spent a lot of time like in Central Africa growing up um, during her kind of formative years. And she's like described herself as being like the perfect daughter, um, always neatly dressed and well-behaved when they would you know, like go and visit like different tribes and her mother would write and take photos and whatnot for her stories. And um, she had kind of, I mean, she had this really privileged, cool life. Like, so she, did a lot of traveling. When she was 10, she went to this University of Chicago Laboratory Schools, which is like experimental teaching workshops with small classes and loose structures. Uh, she went to finishing school in Switzerland. Uh, she ended up becoming a graphic artist, uh, a painter, and um, at one point, an art critic for the Chicago Sun uh, between 1941 and 1942 so like in her later teen years um you know she had all this experience was doing all these things her mother encouraged her to like have a career but of course it was also like early 50s uh and her mother also wanted her to get married and settle down so at 19 she met this guy they eloped uh she had to drop out of school because the school that she was in would not allow Mary's students to attend for whatever fucked up reason that means. And I'm sure that was only applied to the females. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. So the marriage, you know, didn't work out. He was an alcoholic and irresponsible with money. And she disliked housekeeping, which when I read that, I was just like, yes. Yes. So after she divorced, she joined the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, where she became a supply op officer. And then she joined the U.S. Uh, Army Air Force, where she worked in photo intelligence. And she actually got promoted to major. And when she was in the Army, she like felt that she was among free women for the first time ever. And so... Uh, as an intelligence officer, she became like expert at reading aerial intelligence photographs and all that. So after the war, she went on an assignment in Paris where she found her second husband, who's known as Ting. Uh, or that was his nickname. His real name was Huntington Sheldon. Uh, I don't know. I usually don't like saying people's name unless it's kind of like really relevant to the story. I guess, I guess he would be really relevant to the story. I just think it's funny. It's like ting it's like such a ting rich or huntington he just didn't want to seem like a douchebag huntington is a douchebag yes <laughs> so we're just gonna be ting 
Okay. So anyway, when she got discharged from the military, they opened up like a small business and she started writing for the first time. And she did like short stories. Uh, and just a few years later on, like 1952, she and her husband were invited to join the CIA and that's how that happens. I and she, <laughs> she accepted <laughs> and she ended up becoming a spy for the CIA, but didn't enjoy the work. So she resigned and returned to college in 1955, where she studied to get her bachelor's uh, in art and then went on to get a doctorate in experimental psychology in the 60s. Holy cow. I know, I know. And so she wrote her doctoral dissertation on the responses of animals to novel stimuli in different environments. That's behavior analysis. Mm -hmm. That's the very beginnings. What year was that? Uh, 1967. Yeah, that's before applied behavior analysis. Anyway, continue. (laughs) You just got so need a geek <laughs> so, but, but during this time this is where she really started like picking up on her like sci-fi writing and she wrote under the uh name of james tiptree jr in order to protect her academic reputation i'm and, gonna look her up <laughs> and also i'm sure because of the treatment and she says pretty much uh you know from this or she says later on in something that I read that, you know, writing as a man, it was just far easier for her to get stuff published than it was obviously yeah. for a woman. Also, she had like uh, complex uh, sexual orientations is how they put it. Uh, she's quoted as saying, I like some men a lot, but from the start before I knew anything, it was always girls and women who lit me up. <laughs> All right, girl. I know. So let's see. So she adopted the pseudonym uh, James Tiptree, and she wrote, and she picked Tiptree because it was actually a branded jar of marmalade uh, (laughs) that they had. And the junior part was her husband's idea. And she's like, a a male name seemed like good camouflage. I had a feeling that a man could slip by less observed. I had too many experiences in my life of being the first woman in something, in some damn occupation. That's <laughs> what she said. And, damn. and so she was like, you know, started writing all like she's got a whole she's very like her mom she's very prolific with her writings mostly short stories um uh, she fooled like she didn't go out she didn't do book tours she didn't meet like people who you know were fans of her book she didn't even meet the people who wrote like the forwards to her book books it was purely on her reputation of the book itself um it's you know, as far as people still thinking that she was a male and, um, you know, at some point there was like speculation that she might be female, but one of the guys who was like a big advocate of her, of hers or him, uh, said, you know, it has been suggested that tip tree is female, a theory that I find absurd for there to me is something, uh, and something or other uh something masculine about her writing i mean about tip tree's writing uh this guy goes on to like compare tip tree's writing to ernest hemingway and found 
it to be superior in masculinity. So, (laughs) you know, she wrote, and I don't think she hid it like intentionally, like she was very secret, like it was a close secret is like if somebody wrote to her in person, um, I do think that, you know, she would write back to him as Tiptree. But, you know, later on, I think she got a little bit looser about it. And she did, like, as Tiptree, she wrote Houston, Houston, Do You Read? Which basically follows a group of astronauts who discover a future Earth whose male population had been wiped out. And the remaining females have learned to get along just fine in their absence. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a a theme. She has has a theme going. (laughs) There's like Um, a theme. I I, I have this picture in my head of her, like, walking through these, like, fancy ballrooms dressed in a James Bond type or something like that pretending to be james tiptree like picking up chicks yes. around every corner. oh she she's beautiful too she is beautiful um towards the end she still stayed with her husband her second husband and um continued to write under tiptree and when it finally came out that she was a woman writing as a man everybody like all the females that she had been in correspondence with they just like really didn't even blink and kept you know writing to her and corresponding with her where all the men just like suddenly disappeared because <laughs> they've been saying dumbass stuff like that's absurd right the masculine so masculine <laughs> um so uh, she did later in life suffer from depression and heart trouble and her husband started to lose his eyesight and was almost completely blind by 1986 when like about 10 years earlier when she was 61 uh, Sheldon basically said that you know she wanted to end her own life like on her terms like she didn't want to become old and crippled uh she wanted to kind of go out while she was still like able-bodied and active and she had you know she didn't want to leave her husband behind and she couldn't bring at that time she couldn't bring herself to kill him is what she told us you know one of her (laughs) friends so later she suggested to her husband that they make a suicide pact and like my story y'all i'm sorry all the triggers i should have said there's like so many trigger warnings in the story uh so she wanted to make a suicide pact when their health began to fail and she said ting agreed to consider suicide in like four to five years so 10 years later uh sheldon actually shot her husband and then herself and that is how they went out um they were both found dead hand in hand in bed in their virginia home so there is there is a james tiptree jr award uh, honoring works of sci-fi or fantasy that expand or explore understanding of gender um and it was named in her honor and it still goes on today however because after their suicide uh and and actually this is last year they changed the name of it to the otherwise award last year which i think i mean yes suicide and you know pack that's fucked up understand also understand that she was living on her own terms and that's kind of seems like how she always seemed to have lived um 
But so they changed the name because of the suicide? That they changed the name because of the suicide. I'm like, that's just shitty. To me, yeah. I, feel, I feel like that's just shitty. They should have kept it the James Tiptree Jr. Award because, I mean, that was the whole purpose. It's of honoring her, her writing. Not right, her, her writing. Like, um, at, right, exactly. And her and how she lived her life. So anyway, that is my rabbit hole through the Mississippi wow. urban legend to mercritus to the <laughs> screw fly solution and then <laughs> finally to um alice sheldon otherwise known as james tiptree jr holy shit <laughs> and we started with paint eating men paint eating men oh yeah loved it I'm going to research her. Oh yeah, well Me I bought. Too. She has a biography, um, and that's what I'm going to read. I bought it like as soon as I finished like doing my research this afternoon. I bought the Kindle version of it uh, to read when I have time. Yeah, whenever that happens. In a week and a half. <laughs> yes, in a week and a half. I was thinking um, a couple of things. One, a naturalist that I understand in that time was. Um, which might come her art background too was someone who observed nature and documented it because mm. before cameras were widespread, there was a lot of artists who did that and like painted nature to preserve and like name new species and things. Well, and that plants. would make sense with all like of their traveling with yeah. the mother writing for the travel magazine or whatever. Mm-hmm. The other, I'm sure men were allowed who were married and my mother in 1974 went to Auburn University and she was married when she started and she had to get approval from the Dean of Women to live off campus in 1974 even. Wow. And that was the year of Title IX. So she had to get special approval not to live in women's dorms even then. Wow. (laughs) Crazy rep. Dean of Women. (laughs) There was a Dean of Women. (laughs) <laughs> so much trouble they need their own deed <laughs> so let's go um, refresh our drinks yeah your glass is empty it is empty and I'm parched hi hi alright so hi Hi. and we're back mm-hmm. my mouth is full of bread Hold is on. there anybody still watching <laughs> yes so we like, have a few Awesome. People still with us. So we are back. We probably, this is what happens. This is the magic behind the production. (laughs) I know you've all been wondering. Now, you're live streaming with us. Send us a pic of what you're doing now. You see how we're acting. (laughs) We didn't even pause for a bathroom break for you. We just kept on. (laughs) Nope. You just... Send us a pic is what I'm gonna tell them. <laughs> oh, we gotta love. Aww. Yay! Oh, <laughs> yay, friends. So I chose I chose to have a Bloody Mary today in honor of what I was gonna talk about. Okay. The humble tomato. Oh my god! My favorite. Everybody's favorite. Southerners are better at tomatoes than like Absolutely. anybody else. Big so, boys. This kind of big, big boys. Big boy tomatoes. 
I tried to, I tried to grow, um, I tried to grow tomatoes in my little greenhouse thing, and cat ate just the tomatoes. The cat ate only the tomatoes, mm. so they're all. But it was funny because um, I was talking to Courtney, and she was saying she didn't know what to eat for dinner the other night and just decided she was going to make a banana sandwich. And I was like, okay. And then I see her making it. And like when I heard banana sandwich, I thought peanut butter, bananas. You're both, see, I knew this. I knew it. I knew this was what was going to happen. Because she slathered some mayonnaise Mayo on Mayo and banana. <laughs> Why? Because we're Southern picture. That's right. She's trying hard, but <laughs> I had never had it like that. I'd had I'd had peanut butter and banana. But I had never had a banana sandwich that was mayonnaise and banana. So mayonnaise, I tried it. Banana, pineapple and bananas, or pineapple and mayo banana uh, sandwich. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, she's no, no. Now we've reached a divergence. Now. No, I put it. I put pineapple. And mayonnaise on the ham sandwich. Like when we roast a ham, we'll mm-hmm. put pineapple on the ham, and the piece of pineapple and the ham will go on the sandwich with mayonnaise. Yeah. I'll say so that. Do you like Hawaiian pizzas? Yes. Yeah. Do you like Hawaiian pizzas? Both of you do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that makes sense. But well, yeah, the, it, the mayo and banana is like classic. We don't have any more bologna or spam to eat. So. Yeah. <laughs> we just gotta Part go. of it was I had heartburn and I was like, kind of like, I should just do something that's not, you know, too much. So that's why I did it that night. Plus it's tangy. If you got, if you like get your Hellman's or your, mm-hmm. your Duke's mayo yep. and then you get the sweet banana. Anyway. See, so this is why. I decided to talk about what I'm going to talk about because it got me researching weird Southern foods. And by weird, I mean like weird to everybody else. <laughs> and um, so for the after show, I've got a list of weird Southern foods that we're going to go through. And y'all y'all can tell me what you know and what you don't and what you like and what you don't. Mm-hmm. So hang in for that, patrons, for the after show. But uh, yeah, the thing that really hit me was, was tomatoes for this because I was like, Tomatoes are so just, they're just better. <laughs> they're just better. People treat tomatoes better here and they're, they're just better. So I was like the South of the tomato. So I was looking into like, well, originally I just wanted to find out about why the Cherokee purple tomato was called the Cherokee purple. Okay. And then that led me down a whole lot of other paths into like the history of the tomato. So that's what we're going to get into. Cause it's Excellent. super funny to me and weird. So the tomatoes were domesticated originally. They're native to the Americas, hot, humid climates. They were domesticated by the Aztecs. This may be stuff that you guys already know. Because I said some of this and that the kids were walking behind me while I was saying it out loud, while I was reading it, researching for this. And they were like, oh, yeah, this and this and this and this. And I was like, how the fuck do you know that? Like, why do you know these things? So maybe everybody knows but me. But um, So they were originally domesticated by the Aztecs. They were native to the Americas. Spanish explorers brought tomatoes back to Europe in the 1500s. So that was when they were first introduced to Europe. Um, And there are a bunch of articles. Atlas Obscura was one. A bitter southerner had some stuff on this. Uh, My mouth uh, is watering. (laughs) I know. And it's 
not going to stop. I'm <laughs> sorry, but it's just going to get worse the longer I talk. I want a summer tomato oh my from God. my garden. I know. So, all right. So uh, when it got imported in like the mid 50, it was like 1540. So around this time in Europe, this is witch hunt time. Mm-hmm. Like in the 1500s in Europe, there, tr- this is where my Halloween story came from. If any of you remember this, this is a lot of the same time periods where we're talking about how do they, you, how do they make these ointments that they put on their brooms to make them fly, which we actually know were just masturbatory elements. But like they, they decided that like the flying ointment included, if you remember, we actually talked about this, this like um, hemlock, nightshade, hensbane, mandrake, things like that. Well, the tomato is in the nightshade family. Right. And so, like, when they get this, they're like, huh, this is, like, evil. Like, this fruit is evil. (laughs) And um, they also, the same stuff that they made out of hemlock nightshade, it was supposed to be, like, the flying cream that they put on their brooms, but it would also, apparently the same stuff was supposed to turn people into werewolves if the witch wanted to turn you into a werewolf. Um, so the nightshade, the henbane and the mandrake are all related in some way to the tomato plant botanically. And, um, if you just look at like deadly nightshade and a tomato plant, somebody who's not a botanist would maybe get them mixed up. Like that's how similar they look to one another. Um, but you know, they, they kind of just ignored the fact that Aztecs had been eating tomatoes forever and they were like, this can't be edible. They're all poison. They decided they were all poison. Um, and uh, so the the environment that they got imported into didn't help the reputation of the tomato. The Europeans immediately hated the tomato because they thought it was like witch's fruit. And then the scientific name, when it was created, didn't help the tomato in Europe either because um, it said, uh, and this I think was again, in the Atlas Obscura article, maybe. Um, and I'll, I'll link to all of these because I think I've got my sources a little bit mixed up. But um, until the Enlightenment, botanists like had a categorical framework for naming plants that was established by a, a, a Roman physician called Galen. And when new plants came from America, they didn't know how to deal with them. Like it said, like corn, blueberries, chocolate, chocolate's not a plant. Oh, well, yes, it is. Aha. Cocoa is a plant, but, um, (laughs) cacao, but, um, so these guys didn't know what to do with these. (laughs) Cacao. 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 Sorry. So instead of, instead of admitting that these plants were new plants, that like there was something that the old like the old world didn't know, which was kind of you know I mean, there was some religious overtones here. Like you know, there's nothing about the world that we don't already know because that's dangerous. You know, there can't be new stuff that we haven't learned from the Bible and shit. Oh, so really? instead of trying to find out, I know instead of trying to find out new ways to categorize these plants, they took old plants that were in Galen's notes that were mysteries like that you couldn't really attach to anything that they had now and they just kind of shoved these new plants into that old system and one of the mystery plants in the writings um translated into wolf something it said 
Um, and the mistranslation came to Lycopersian or Lycopersicon. And the meaning of that is the wolf peach. So the tomato already is associated with witchcraft because of its connection to nightshade and everything like that. And nightshade turning people into werewolves. And now they've named it the wolf peach. So um, people are terrified of this fruit in Europe because all these reasons. And and people are stupid. Um, <laughs> more for us. More for us. Wolf peaches for <laughs> they us. Like the wolf they didn't peach. deserve them. Um, so in French, the tomato was the palm de mort, and that means the love apple. <laughs> the tomato is the love apple. Um, and some people say that's because of the whole, like, you know, they said it was like associated with the mandrake earlier. Well, mm -hmm. like there's in, in the Bible that talks about the mandrake being an aphrodisiac. So they think that maybe that's why. And there are a couple other like mistranslations and typos that could have caused it to be called the love apple. Um, but yeah, so now it's both feared as poisonous and witchcraft and a love potion. So like they've got the thing. Italy, like uh, a lot of their sauces and all that. Let's just think about Italian food and their love of tomatoes. The name may have something to do with that if we go back that and far. Their, and their love of love. Their love, love of love. It does say that um, the first, they think maybe the first tomatoes that were imported into Italy were yellow. And that they think that the Italians called it Pomodoro, which was golden apple. And then it got mistranslated into French as love apple instead There's of golden apple. type of tomato called a Pomodoro. Yes. Okay currently that's used for different sauces just so mm -hmm. you you're okay. the you're my resident tomato expert i know you are <laughs> i knew you'd i knew you'd both have a lot to say about this so i was like it's not a strong story but <laughs> you'll fill in it'll be okay <laughs> um so um generally in germany and england they thought that tomatoes were just like decorative plants which is funny to just imagine <laughs> tomatoes just hanging because those things get messy as fuck when they get like overripe and stuff but they also thought they were dangerously poisonous only because they were bright red mm. <laughs> like all red things are poisonous which you know they're not wrong and it's true in nature i mean it is the sign of warning right, right. that if it's red, it's poison. But yeah. I mean, apples, then again, sin. Yeah. What are you going to do? So, but in 1700s Europe, they started calling it the poison apple because uh, they started thinking that aristocrats were getting sick and dying after eating the tomato. This is from a Smithsonian article. Um, and later on, it find out they find out that um, this is because they generally ate on pewter plates. Lead plates, and maybe? I was, that's exactly, that's exactly what happens. They ate on pewter plates and while they could eat other things on those plates without the stuff leaching into the food, the acid, the acid in tomatoes pulled the lead into the food and they all died of lead poisoning. No, they became irresistible to women is what happened. And then they were killed by those women. There's the through line. Through line. There you go. <laughs> so um since they didn't know anything about lead the tomato was obviously responsible for all these people dying in england so um it was around that same time that the, the tomatoes came to the u.s colonies 
And people didn't seem to be as nervous about it in the U.S. I mean, they were risk takers. They're like, Thomas Jefferson apparently grew a whole bunch of tomatoes. And like other people were still kind of scared of them. So he'd like walk down the street eating them just to prove that he was a badass. Like, he's like, hey, I'm not good it's in It's in the yeah. American genes. We're living it now, right? Yes. People? It's like, this isn't going to kill me. This flu ain't <laughs> shit. I don't need your damn masks. But um, we have so uh, now. I know, and <laughs> nobody cares. <No. laughs> um, so uh, it's funny they weren't afraid of the tomato in America. But here's the funny thing: they seem to be afraid of what lived inside it. Ooh. So in the 1830s, they discovered the tomato hornworm. Have you ever seen these little fuckers? Are those the big green worms you peel off your tomato plants? Yeah. They scared me to death. I hate it when I find one in those my Those were like my all Americans. favorite we're thing to do in our garden was to go through and pull off the worms off the tomato plants. <laughs> Why? Well, did you throw them in a bucket of soapy water? I don't remember what I did with them. I just... <laughs> I usually scream when I cut one open and find one and just throw the tomato against the wall. I don't think no, I've ever cut into one and found one. I mean, we always were pretty diligent about picking them off because, again, I was obsessive compulsive about picking them off the plants. And the ones that you see may not be the same. Now, the tomato hornworm can be like four to five inches long. Yeah. He is not a skinny. He is a no, fat No, they're dude. thick. They're just like. Uh -huh. they're just he's got thick. white white spots and stripes on the sides. And he's got a big red barb sticking out his butt. Yeah. Have you seen that? But you know what I'm talking about, Courtney? Is it the same? So the only the only relationship I ever had with these was my friend when I went to when I was in college in Penn state, one of my friends was a biology major and he told me about the experiments that they were doing in the lab. As far as like mosquitoes, they would like let mosquitoes go into the same place as the tomato hornworms. And they would like lay eggs. And the mosquito babies would be born. And I was like, that's horrible. And I made such a big deal of it that one day he brought me two tomato hornworms in a jar and said that I had, like liberated them from <laughs> <laughs> the experiments allowed. And I think I named like, it like Napoleon and who was the other egg, egg guy? guy? I think they, I think were, they were Galileo and Napoleon. And they, they lived a happy life until they died. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure. disturbed by tomato hornworms, but the entire American public oh, thought they, that they were like the devil's insect. insect. And there was an almanac that wrote... Especially uh, when they have their eggs on the back of them. They're so <laughs> gross. It's <laughs> making my head itch. So great. Um, <laughs> so one almanac wrote, based on zero evidence at all, that just a brush with this worm would result in your death. Mm. <laughs> like, all you had to do was touch it. And it said, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson was afraid of them. And called them an object of much terror um, and said that they would actually make the tomatoes that they lived in poisonous also. And there was a Dr. Fuller in New York that was quoted in the Syracuse Standard saying that he had captured a tomato worm in a bottle. And he said it was poisonous as a rattlesnake and that it would throw spit at its prey. <laughs> and according to him, 
According to him, when person's skin came in contact with the spit, it would swell immediately. A few hours later, the victim would seize up and die. And Damn. he called it a new enemy to human existence. That's, and that's I was some like, serious shit. Poor, poor little Napoleon. But um, little, little so fi- <laughs> finally, actual entomologists were able to show that these had no poisonous properties at all. And all they cared about was eating tomatoes. Yeah. Um, and four and five year old Patrice could pick them up <laughs> and put them in a bucket. Sling them. Sling them. Is that when you learned, is that when you started your, um, when you started honing your slinging skills, your animal slinging skills? <sighs> probably. It's probably much uh, younger than like that. Chip- I used to pick up our cat by its neck like this <laughs> and walk like when I was two two or three years old and walk around with our cat like this and bless her heart she was the best we called her mama cat and we just had a, like she just put she just would go limp and let me carry her around by her neck her eyes are like she didn't scratch me or any i mean we they, she had her claws and she just like she's like okay we're doing this oh bless her cat. she was a Siamese. you know what you know what? Hmm. Rose is karma for you, I yes. think. I think Rose is karma for you. It's come she back is. to punish you mm-hmm. that that you strangled that poor cat your whole childhood. <laughs> Remember that next time you get a chipmunk in your Oh, we had a mole this this afternoon. We had to sling a mole out. Oh no. Moles are so ugly. Uh, so okay, so we've reached the tomato horn room. Um, more, more. Wait, do you have a thought? No, I've lost the trees, but I... are you still there? I'm here. Or are we all still there? Can you hear me? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. Are we good? Yes. Continue, please. Okay. <laughs> You'll come back. Okay. So there was more trivia that um for people who argue about whether tomatoes are fruits or vegetables there was an 1893 supreme court ruling of the united states that said that legally the tomato is a vegetable and that was the like that was the supreme court decided the tomato is a vegetable because you couldn't tax fruits but you could tax vegetables. Well, yeah, that so sounds legit. That is why. That is why the it is legally a vegetable. Um, random other stuff. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Actually, one of one of these one of these articles reminded me of of the movie Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, and immediately the song started running through my head. Attack. But, uh, that movie started. That that movie was made in the seven. Exactly. Exactly. What did you? I'm sorry. A, what um, did you just say? Because it froze up over here on my end. I'm sorry. I know you. Your face is gone, but I can hear you still. I said. Um, I said that in, in the original. Damn it! I lost her again. Eight. What? What's wrong? Okay, I can hear her now. Courtney's telling us to pause. Are no, we good? No, we're good. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I can hear. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so the original one was in the 70s, and then they made the remake of Killer Tomatoes, or the sequel of Killer Tomatoes, like, 
in the 80s. And that's why I know the Tack of Killer Tomatoes song, because it was like all over. That song was everywhere that. in the yep. 80s. Um, so if you've never seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, I'm going to have to download it and, and watch it again because it's been forever. <clears throat> but OK, so that's the end of the brief history of tomatoes. And here is the beginning of the Southerners do tomatoes better than anybody else does section. You still with us, Patrice? Yep, I'm here. Okay, good. Your face keeps disappearing, and I just want to make sure that I can still hear you. Okay, so. The tomato sandwich. Mm. What's the correct way to make a tomato sandwich? Tomatoes. With mayonnaise and white bread. White bread. Mm -hmm. Salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. Mm -hmm. Sliced. Exactly. Thick or thin, according to how you like it. I like thin sliced, but more sliced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep that's why like anybody will answer this question probably exactly the same way but they will only argue about what mayonnaise is the best mayonnaise mm -hmm. no miracle whip oh god that's miracle not even mayonnaise whip is not mayonnaise it's not mayonnaise <laughs> no that is salad dressing <laughs> that my grandmother who was not southern put on lettuce and called it a salad mm -hmm. <laughs> And it was gross. And I'd say, why are you putting that gross mayonnaise on lettuce? That's not a salad. Mm, yeah. I never, I, I, never had, <laughs> I never had real mayonnaise until I was grown. Oh. Because I thought Miracle Whip was the only stuff there was. Because my mom was like, she was the, I'm going to only eat egg beaters. I'm going to only get low fat everything. Like we never, ever, ever had real mayonnaise. So I never tried it until I was like in college, I think. And I thought Miracle Whip was the only stuff. And it was like amazing the day that I found mayonnaise. Yes. <laughs> and now mayonnaise makes everything better. Um, there's an article on the Bitter Southerner called Hunger for Tomatoes. And I'm going to link to it. And it is way longer and way better than the tiny bit that I was going to talk about for this. And a lot of it is about farming and who does the farming and what the conditions are and how things are done. And it's a really great article. So you should go and read that. But um, there is a section of it that says one of the earliest references in American cookbooks is in the private journals of Harriet Pinckney Horry of Hampton Plantation in South Carolina in 1770 is one of the first times they ever mentioned tomatoes in Southern cookbooks. 1770? Yes. So or in America. The Americans. Yeah, before the revolution then. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yeah. Yeah, 1770. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe You're during right. the revolution before independence. Yeah, 1770. Um, yeah, because they talked about like she the, the plantation that she managed like actually had to do with the revolution, like protecting people and bringing people in, being a hospital kind of stuff like that. So again, you'd have to read it because I'm just shooting stuff out my ass now and I don't really remember, but it did have something to do with the swamp fox <laughs> and other things. So. Yum. What swamp fox? I don't know. The swamp fox was a Disney like thing that I used to watch, but the swamp fox was actually, well, look it up. We'll have to look it up. So I can't remember. Like I said, yeah. I don't know shit about what I'm I, talking about. Now. I don't know what you're talking. I don't know. Swamp fox. You've never heard of the Swamp Fox? Mm -mm. We'll look into that. So, it's um, rabbit stuff? No. No, it's not an actual fox. It's the name of a dude. The Swamp Fox was like oh. a spy or a soldier. Oh. Anyway, oh. now I'm going to have to look that up. But, the foxhole. So, so this woman was the first person who talked about tomatoes in an American cookbook, and it was really just sealing, like canning. It was just a canning recipe. And using melted butter as a sealant 
stewing oh. stewing the tomatoes and putting them in pint jars and using melted butter to seal them in yeah. and, and um and then it goes on to say, since that early recipe, the tomatoes appeals for appeal for Southerners is universal. Tomato aspic at church suppers. Have you ever had tomato aspic? What? I, I've heard of the name, but I don't really know what it is. It's it's like it's like a gelatin. It's yeah. A, yeah, there's a tomato jam. Is that what you mean? Aspect. Okay, that's why I'm. No, I don't think it's the same as jam. Though. Oh, is it kind of like it's, a Jello mold? Kinda? It is. It's a Jello mold. I've yeah. seen it, and I've seen it in like my grandmother's old like lady cookbooks that she yes. used to get when everything was in a Jello mold. Yes, when like, everything yeah. was in a Jello mold. But no, we we like our tomatoes right off the vine, cutting on the sandwich. Yep. We don't want anything fancy. Nope. Yeah, that was is this little list of things was like all the things that Southerners love tomatoes in, and tomato aspic was the first thing in there. So I had to look it up because I'd never heard of it, but it was like a church picnic thing, and apparently it's got it's kind of like a Bloody Mary. It's like got horseradish and stuff in it, I guess. I don't know. So we'll have to look that up. I don't know if I can but handle that about, texture though. I know, right? Totally. Um, gelatinized anything kind of got that's just been. No, yeah, I've seen too many of those cookbooks where it's like gelatinized ham cubes and shit in like a bun yes. pan. You know what I mean? Yes. yes. <laughs> but then they talked about tomato pie for picnics, and I was like, oh my god, that is a big yes. <sighs> and see, and that's another and fried thing: fried green tomatoes, right? You know which it said they think are actually midwestern, Ooh. but. The Southerners really own fried green tomatoes. Yeah, for a billion reasons. Now. I do have a heart. I will say at this point, it it hurts my heart to pluck those tomatoes when they're green. Still, it's usually at the end of this season when I feel like there's no hope left that I make the most fried green tomatoes. Yeah, just so you know, because if it's a big beautiful tomato that's going to turn red, I'm not taking that thing off until it turns red. The smaller ones though that may not do so well, they can be fried up. Mm-hmm. Better so. boys. That's the ones my granddad. Like, I call them big boys, but it's better They're boys. Better boys. Yeah, no better boys. I have 12 mini ones growing right now in my little oh. greenhouse. They're about this big. Yes, yeah, so yours are going to live. Mine mine got eaten by the cat. I haven't even yeah, started. I, I looked for a few examples of why the, why the tomatoes were named what they're named, and I don't know why a better boy is a better boy. It's probably just because it's big, right? And it's but better, there is, and it's masculine, so it has to be. It's masculine. It's a man. Boy. And it's there's the early girls. Man. You can get an early girl. Mm, there are a billion of them. And Definitely. there was um so the Cherokee purple, if you're have you ever had a Cherokee purple? I don't think so. Yes. You haven't. Have. Okay. If you have never had They're a Cherokee heirloom. purple tomato, they are heirloom tomatoes. You can get them at farmers markets and stuff like that. And Owls Hollow at rent, if you're local, like real local with us, Owls Hollow probably sells Cherokee purples. But if you've never had a Cherokee purple tomato, you need to find one this year. Look for them, hunt for them, find one and try it because they have more flavor than any tomato I have ever had in my life. And they look like, it's funny because when I was reading about them, the description that they had was they look like a leg bruise. That's the color of them. Mm. They are like a blackish purple. And and lumpy more, you know, all the the heirloom tomato. Yeah, they're not, you know, all the ones that we get. Or GMO or whatever they've been right. modified to be pretty, 
But the heirlooms are all lumpy and bumpy and ha- look gourd-like, right. kind of. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it is it is an ugly-ass tomato. It's weirdly shaped. It is ugly colored. It's purplish-green on the inside. Um, and to the, some of them almost get really dark, like black where the seeds are in those, in those kind of gelatinous spaces in between. Mm -hmm. But those were originally from this, this family, there's like a seed savers exchange, um, that shares heirloom seeds. And in like 1990, this dude from the seed, seed savers exchange got a letter from a guy saying he was some from Sevierville, Tennessee. And he said that my neighbors grew this tomato for ever and they gave me some of the seeds and I just wanted to share them with you. They said that they had gotten the seeds originally a hundred years before from the Cherokee people and they've just grown them ever since. Wow. And there's no more story than that. That's wow. the whole story. There's nothing else. But then he's this guy from the Seed Savers started growing these and since then there are a lot more people have done them. They're a lot more in demand because people have tried them and the flavor is so unbelievable oh, now i'm craving them like hardcore and the, the oh, are you trying to i've got i've got a picture that i'm going to put up to you of um of one that's sliced but there's there was another there was another one that was called um this is another heirloom tomato and the name is radiator charlie's mortgage lifter that's that's the name of the tomato radiator charlie what radiator charlie's mortgage lifter and the reason why it's called that is because in the 1920s in west virginia there was a guy named charlie biles and he lived at the bottom of a hill and his job was to repair radiators and trucks would go up the hill and overheat so when they came back down he would fix their radiators before they could leave and he also was a gardener and he had spent years cultivating this tomato plant to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and he finally got it to the point where it would grow tomatoes that were two to three pounds and so in the 20s he finally got himself comfortable to sell the seedlings of the variety he like had bred it really well and got it pretty consistent and he sold the seedlings of these tomatoes in the depression for two dollars or two dollars and fifty cents each and right and so but they he really the same process plants are now I know $3 and people say that this plant actually does make two to three pound tomatoes Wow! and that he sold so many of them that he paid off a $6,000 house mortgage in a few years with the money that he made selling the tomatoes. And that's why it started being called radiator Charlie's mortgage lifter tomato. Wow. That's a great story. That's a good one. Right. <laughs> um, and then there were just a couple, like there was, um, Oh, where did it go? They, uh, the Bitter Southerner article talked about um, a guy who had written about tomatoes. Let's see. It was a Southern. In the oh, meantime, I'll tell you of my about the Bitter Southerner and the shirt that you gave me for my birthday this past oh, year. Yes, do it's it. It's just a red shirt that says in white letters, mayo and tomato. That's all it says. It's yes. a red shirt, says mayo and tomato, and Box Van Chad came to visit me, social distance style, yesterday. Oh, it seems so long ago, but it was yesterday. Uh, and I had on a new shirt from a local company that said, 
it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine from Red Threads Apparel here in Jacksonville. And he said, I've seen that shirt. I'm jealous. And I keep following the bitter Southerner and seeing everyone wearing their mayo and tomato shirts. And I want one. So I just so we have one too. I do. We need to get box fan Chad one. He wants one so bad. Get him. They have a. They have a collards and cornbread one too, I think, yes. and a couple other ones. They Bitter Southern has got some real cool swag. Oh yeah, um, the best swag. But listen now, if you want to, um, if you want to drool, I'm gonna give you a second. There was one I was saying, like Rick Bragg. If y'all remember um, whose house, whose mama's house I live in, Rick Bragg, the writer, um, he wrote a book called The Best Cook in the World. And when it came out several years ago, like we all had like a, a dinner party where it's it's the story, it's the it's a really cool book. It's stories of his family interspersed with the recipes that he sat with his mama to teach him how to make because she wouldn't write them down because she never had to write them down because she right. always just made them. And so it's all these conversations between him and his mama and all these recipes and stuff. So all of us sat, you know, did a dinner party where we each made a recipe so from good. her cookbook. Some of the best food I have ever had. Yes. And um, one of the, I swear, when I pulled this down from the shelf, when I was starting to write this, my stomach started growling, just grabbing the book. But, um, there was a whole chapter in that book just on tomatoes and talking about how his mama is never satisfied with any tomatoes she sees anymore because she was used to heirloom tomatoes when she was growing up. And even the garden tomatoes aren't good enough for her. And that um, supermarket taters, uh, taters. <laughs> supermarket tomatoes <laughs> don't count. We all know, right, that supermarket tomatoes don't count. They are white, nasty zombie tomatoes and they are not real tomatoes. But um, she had a recipe in there for red eye gravy over biscuits and fresh diced tomatoes. That, that was killer. And they actually also had a recipe that was just sliced salted and peppered tomatoes. That's it. Mm -hmm. Because that's all it needs to be. That's all it needs to be. Yeah. That is all but, it needs to be. But the end of the end of this, if you want to drool now, was this from the Bitter Southerner. Um, Ernest Matthew Mickler wrote a book called White Trash Cooking. And he he wrote this about what he called the kitchen sink tomato sandwich. So I'm going to read exactly yes. what he wrote. Love the name. In the peak of the tomato season, chill one very large or two medium tomatoes that have been vine ripened and have a good acidity bite to their taste or acidy bite to their taste. Take two slices of bread. I would say probably white bread, right? Mm -hmm. um, coat them with a quarter inch of good mayonnaise. On one piece of bread, slice the tomato a quarter inch thick. Salt and pepper that layer. Add another layer of sliced tomato, salt and pepper. Place the other piece of bread on top of this. Roll up your sleeves and commence to eat over the kitchen sink while the juice runs down your elbows. Yes. <laughs> My mouth is literally water running. Yes. Like, I can't. I can't stop. And I really feel like that is a sign of a true Southerner. If you cannot hear that story without drooling. I'm not lying. <laughs> I am. I'm not either, man. Is this, this, I was just like, I've been so, listen, I've always been a very food centric person, but now that I'm cooking 24, like all the time now, again, like it's been a long time since I've cooked this much mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm going really, really far back down that, like everything is food. Everything is food to me right now. Yes. So this story just had to happen, but yeah. So that's the history Ooh. of the tomato and why Southerners are better at it than everybody else. Yes. Yes. And I've got more during the after show on the Patreon. We will talk about all the other weird shit that y'all and we eat. More yes. y'all than me, I think. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh my God. My granddad, who's 90, 
94, 93, 94 years old, talked about when he was a boy, uh, just like the best thing in the world in the summertime, he would go just pull a tomato off, uh, tomato plant and would just sit there and eat tomato. It's just like an apple. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's one of his Eat best like memories. Apple. It's like doing that so as a good. boy. So good. So good. Well, thank y'all so much for my listening. My garden is tilled and ready for my tomatoes. Ooh, yeah. Uh-huh. I will share with you both. Yes. <laughs> I'll pay for well, it. Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for watching. We didn't know whether thanks this is going to work watching. or not. Yeah. Well, yeah. People. <laughs> I've been watching you oh, as you watch us. Yay. We'll do it again if it works and it doesn't like aggravate too many people like us stopping and starting and stopping and starting and flushing toilets and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> flushing uh, toilets. And stuff. Flushing toilets and stuff. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.